0: Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message Psalm 23 this morning, um, and uh, as we just read it just a moment ago, we'll be kind of looking particularly just at verse number one today and then next sunday we're going to be looking at the rest of it together but we wanted to take more of a close look at the shepherd this morning uh, that is mentioned there in scripture psalm 23 has a lot of nicknames we sometimes give nicknames to chapters or books of the bible for instance you know the book of psalms is called the holy hymnal Um, the uh, first corinthians 13 does anybody know what the nickname for first corinthians 13 is the love chapter, right? Uh, the book of Revelation. Does anybody know what the, the nickname for the book of Revelation is? The year 2020. That's the nickname for the, the, the book of Revelation right now. That's, that's the new nickname that it's gotten, the year 2020. Basically, yeah, y'all walked straight into that one. That one was good, wasn't it? But Psalm 23, it's got a lot of nicknames, but one of the best ones that I think that, that I've seen or that I've heard and what means the most to me probably um, is everybody's psalm there are passages of scripture that really just kind of resonate with with certain people, depending on what what time of life you're in, or what season of life you're in, or what you may be going through. Uh, Maybe what culture you live in. There are passages of the Bible that resonate in a different way. But Psalm 23 is one of those things that just kind of universally applies to everybody, because we all walk through the stages of life and the things that Psalm 23 talk about. And Psalm 23 basically covers life from the cradle all the way to the grave. Um, I'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but Psalm 23 covers a lot of things. It also gives us a very beautiful picture of our God, but it's said before that the little child learns Psalm 23 at the knee of their mother. The youth will seek its wisdom in their hours of temptation and uncertainty as they grow up, and the aged quote it with quivering lips as they know that their moment of meeting their maker and going to their heavenly home approaches. Dr. Johnny Hunt says that he believes that Psalm 23 is one of the most comprehensive understandings of the one of the most comprehensive and one of the most simplistic and understandable theologies of God within Scripture. Six verses that drip with the theology of who God is, what He does, and where we stand with Him. David wrote this psalm, but we're not explicitly sure when he wrote it. Some scholars believe that he wrote this psalm later on in life uh, when he was an old man and approaching the end of his journey, and he had lived his life. He'd made, it, he'd made his mistakes. He'd seen his victories. He'd been a king of, a, of God's kingdom and all those things, and he's, now he's just looking back over his life, and he's rejoicing in the goodness of God and looking forward to his heavenly home. And you can see evidence of that as you read that. There's kind of a tone of that as you read Psalm 23. But also, there are many scholars, and I kind of tend to, not that I'm throwing myself into the scholarly ranks, but I kind of tend to believe and envision that David wrote this as a young man. Possibly even before his tussle with Goliath, before he was anointed king of Israel, probably when he was still a shepherd boy out in the fields. David was a musician as well, and he wrote, we believe, many of the Psalms that we read today, that he wrote them as a shepherd out in the field, just reflecting upon God, because he didn't have a whole lot of company other than sheep, and sheep don't really talk back to you or or really add a lot to the conversation. So I kind of picture David sitting out in the fields as he's watching the sheep graze upon these fields that he has as a dutiful shepherd led them to, and he is writing, and he's thinking about his God, and all of a sudden it hits him that the Lord is my shepherd, and just as I have been a good shepherd to these sheep, the Lord is the best shepherd to me. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He protects me from my enemies. He guides me into safety. So I kind of envision him sitting there with his harp, writing this song of praise and worship to Jesus and to God as the great shepherd of our souls. But whenever this psalm was written, I wonder sometimes what Dave, whether David truly understood the deep and wide nature of this psalm. Maybe he thought he just had a cute little song on his hands, and he was going to take it to his worship leader at church, and they were going to get the guitar out, and they were going to maybe present it to their church one worship night or something. But this psalm has a depth to it and a breadth to it that covers so much and tells us so much about our God. It's so encouraging, and it's also challenging at the same time, because not only is it everybody's psalm, but it also is a psalm that meets everybody's need. There's not a season of life, there's not a moment that you will face, there's not a problem that you can come up against, there's not a victory that you will enjoy that Psalm 23 does not somehow, some way apply to your life and speak to your life in the moment that you are in. Because he assures us that the Lord is our shepherd and he is with us always. That there's not a moment where God abandons us, he never walks away from us, he's always there and we are always his sheep. You see, here's, here's kind of the way you look at it, and i pin down a couple of things uh, that kind of walk us through this, walk us through the entire psalm. See, when we're discouraged and we're depressed, he provides us rest and, and refreshment. That's where he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. See, if I've committed sin, and all of us do, all of us commit sin, and if we've committed sin and the result is that we've lost our joy and fellowship with him, the Bible says he will restore our souls. Does the future and the uncertainty and the complexity of today confuse you and frighten you right now? Well, he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Maybe you're afraid of death and life beyond the grave. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Do I become disturbed by those people because of their hatred towards me or hatred towards others, maybe their jealousy or those who seek to injure me? Well, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Is there a sense of weakness and fruitlessness in my life as I try to be faithful to him? Do I become discouraged by feeling as though I'm not as blessed or as fruitful as other people that I look at? He anoints my head with oil. Do I complain and I grumble with an ungrateful and sometimes even evil heart my cup runs over? Speaks to that ingratitude. Do I need a greater vision of him and a smaller one of myself? Well, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and then I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 speaks to every situation, everything that we struggle with in our human nature and in the human experience. Psalm 23 has a God answer for all of it. And in every answer, the solution is God and his presence and his work in our life. Psalm 23 also, not only does it give us practical truth, but it gives us deep theological and personal understanding of God and his personal individual care over each one of us as sheep. Not just over the flock, but over you as a sheep, me as a sheep, as an individual sheep. You see, in verse number two, we see that he's our peace. When when you're struggling with peace, he is our peace in verse number two. In verse number three, he is our health. And he is our source of righteousness. And in verse number four, he is our constant companion. In verse number five, he is our victory. He's not just going to give us victory. He alone is victory. And in verse number six, he's my provision. All that I need, he will provide. But I think the greatest view of his personal nature, the greatest theological understanding of God is in verse number one when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want the christian standard bible says the lord is my shepherd i have what i need now don't get those two confused don't get want and need confused the lord is my shepherd don't get it confused say the lord is my shepherd i shall I, i have what i want that's not what it's saying the lord is my shepherd i have what i need i shall not be in want he provides everything for me today i want to focus on the lord our shepherd One verse, one verse, that's gonna lead us into several other verses in Scripture. So we're gonna be using this as kind of like the springboard or the key that unlocks this understanding of Jesus as the shepherd. See, this psalm has brought peace to those people who grieve the loss of a loved one. But it has a powerful effect, and it's a powerful psalm for us who live our lives today. It's not just to provide peace to us to tell us where our loved ones are in the arms of Jesus. It is a powerful psalm to tell us where we right now are in the hand of the Shepherd. And let me, let me explain to you and let me encourage you today on the authority of God's word. No matter where you may be, you may be feeling like you're in the valley of the shadow of death or you may be feeling like you're in the green pastures. You are in the hand of the shepherd no matter where you are. You are in the hand of the shepherd. The beautiful thing that we have to understand here before we understand the shepherd is we have to understand the fact that we are sheep. A shepherd can't be a shepherd without the sheep. And the Bible says that we are his sheep. Scripture refers to us as human beings so many times. Not just once. It wasn't just like a a one-time accident metaphor. This is a constant metaphor through Scripture that we as humanity, we as his followers, are sheep. Now, I don't want to insult you, but how many people... We live in Lexington. We're all city slickers, but how many of you spent time on a farm? You spent time on a farm. If you spent time on a farm and you're worshiping virtually, you know, just put down your years on the farm. Okay. How many of you have honestly spent time with sheep or had to care for a sheep at one time or another? Okay. So some of you will agree with this. Science has proven... Zoology has proven, it's an an indisputable fact that among all the animals in the animal kingdom, the sheep are the dumbest, most ignorant, most needy, most developmentally delayed and challenged animals you will ever find. They start out babies, and they stay babies, basically, in their mental development. They need constant care, they need constant guidance, they will just, if not cared for, if not watched 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they will wander out into traffic, they will wander off a cliff, and be happy as a lark doing it. They're not aware of their surroundings, they know nothing of personal space, they don't know anything that is good for them. Charles Haddon Spurgeon is known as the Prince of Preachers. He had this gift, of saying the hardest things in the most eloquent of ways. I think it was because he was British. You know, people with British actions, they can get away with, with, with saying hurtful things because it just sounds so beautiful in the way they do it, right? They've got this accent and they're like, you've got to be the ugliest individual I've ever seen. And you're like, oh, thank you so much. That's so, that sounded so wonderful that you said it that way, right? But Charles Haddon Spurgeon had this gift, but when it came to the sheep, he pulled no punches. In, in addressing his church several years back in England, he said this, he said that sheep are the dumbest and the most senseless and most unwise of creatures. A sheep will go anywhere except in the right direction. It will leave a fat and, and green and lush pasture to wander into a barren one with nothing. It will find many ways, but never the right way. It would wander through a forest and find its way through ravines right into the, into the jaws of the wolf, but never never think for a moment to turn away from the wolf. It could wander near its den, but it would never instinctively turn aside from that place of danger. It knows how to go astray. It only knows how to go astray, but it does not know how to come home again. Left to itself, it would not know in what pasture to feed in summer or where to retire in winter. Now understand this. Then Spurgeon turns it around and said, you know what? While we're laughing at these sheep, understand this is the way God sees us. Now think about that. Our heavenly father, our creator, the one who has also said within scripture that in him, we are, chosen, we are chosen priesthood, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. When he looks at us and finds a comparison to the rest of creation, the best example he can find is a dumb sheep. Doesn't that say something about us? You're gonna think, oh wow, thanks God. But here's the thing, I think it's beautiful. I think it is beautiful that when God looks at all of creation, he looks at us and he says, I see you as sheep. I think it's beautiful. Why? Because the sheep is hopeless without the shepherd. The sheep is hopeless without the shepherd. Get that and and take that in for a minute. I think that's a beautiful example and a beautiful metaphor because it reminds us that without the shepherd we are hopeless. But, but, in the hand of the shepherd, the sheep has everything it needs. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. I need. It's good that we're sheep, because we have a good shepherd to follow, and that good shepherd's name is Jesus, and that's what we're going to look at today, this morning, just for the, the next few moments. We're going to look at three things that the Bible says to describe Jesus, our shepherd. Now, we're going to do some moving around through the scripture, so I hope you brought your Bible drill fingers with you. So first of all, if you would, turn to the book of John in the New Testament, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, because here's where we're going to see the description of Jesus Christ as not just our shepherd of our souls, but he is the good shepherd, Of our souls. He's the good shepherd of our souls in John chapter 10. We have heard it said before that Jesus is the good shepherd. This is not just a nickname that people give him. This is not just something that somebody thought up one day and said, hey, you know what? If Jesus is a shepherd, he's got to be a good one because Jesus is good, right? And that's true, but Jesus himself told us that he is not just a good shepherd, he is the good shepherd. This is one of the I am statements. Jesus made seven I am statements during his ministry. He said, I am the door of the sheep, I am the bread of life, I'm the living water, I'm all these things. And among those, he said, I am the good shepherd. Each one of these statements were like a a metaphorical understanding of who Jesus is. And it helped us to kind of, with our minute sheep-like brains, to get wrap our minds around what Jesus is to us. You see, for us to understand God, he used human terms, he used things, parables, so that we could help to understand a little bit about his nature. So when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, The Jewish people that were steeped in the Psalms, steeped in the Old Testament messianic writings about the Messiah, immediately their brains processed that and went straight to Psalm 23, and when the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, so when Jesus stood before the people in the New Testament and said, I am the good shepherd, immediately it was signaling to them, this is the Messiah that stands before you. The question for us on the other side of this in the New Testament, who trust in Christ, Is that the same sense of excitement we get when we read Psalm 23? When it says, The Lord is my shepherd. Have you found Jesus to be good in your life? Have you come to understand that he is good and that he can be trusted? The reason I shall not want is because the shepherd is good. The reason we don't have to want, the reason we don't have to fear is because the shepherd is good. Because there are good shepherds and then there are bad shepherds. And see, when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, It brought peace to a lot of the people, but it also brought lack of peace to some other people, the Pharisees, the religious elite. Why? Because they had made their living. They had made their living on being the shepherd to people. They had made their living on I speak and the people jump. And when Jesus came and said, I am the good shepherd, I am the one that people follow, these shepherds could not go to be sheep to follow him they didn't respect him as God, they didn't want to follow him as that. But the Bible says, and Jesus said himself that he is the good shepherd. In the original language in the Greek here in in John chapter 10, it's, it's from the word kalos, which means the opposite of evil. Everything that evil is, Jesus is not. And everything that Jesus is, evil is not. He is, I am the good shepherd. I am fitting, I am desirable, I am beautiful above all things. It's not just the good, it's the best good we talked about that a little bit in the psalm that we looked at last week. It's like, again, like having tickets to the UK game, that's good. But the best good is I got tickets right beside Coach Cal, you know, right beside Coach Cal where I can see and I can hear everything. That's the best good. Masks on, of course, but you know what I mean. Jesus is the best good shepherd. But the question is, what makes a shepherd good? When I look at this, and because a lot of us don't know a whole lot about shepherding, what makes a shepherd good? What's the dividing line that divides the good shepherds from the bad shepherds? Is it that he doesn't mind his job? Is it that he doesn't mind the horrible smell of the sheep? Is it that he doesn't lose his mind every time he hears the sheep bleeding back and forth? What is it that makes a shepherd good? Think about that. What is it that makes a shepherd a good shepherd? The shepherd is good because he cares, The shepherd is good because he tends to the sheep, and here's what we see about Jesus being a good shepherd. He's good because he lays down his life for the sheep. Look at verse number 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and this is what he says. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, shepherding in the ancient Middle East was hard. It was difficult, and a lot of people did it. It was like one of the lower-rung jobs. It was like the lowest of the blue-collar jobs that you could find. Nobody really... Nobody really set out to be a shepherd. They just kind of ended up there. But shepherds were still important to the economy of the ancient Middle East. If you didn't have shepherds, things would shut down. Sheep were big business back then. Big business. So you were a good shepherd or you could be a bad shepherd. And there wasn't a lot of motivation really to be a good shepherd. You were just a good one or you were a bad one. It's one of those things you say, you can't teach good shepherding. It's just in you or it's not. See, because there was a lot of problems with shepherding. Geography posed a problem. There were a lot of hillsides and a lot of, a lot of rocks and a lot of steep cliffs in the area that they were in, and sheep really need flat pastures. So the job of the shepherd was to kind of get the herd to flat and safe pastures. And a lot of that, a lot of that times, a lot of times they would, they, would, they would fall, they would slip, and a lot of times the job of the shepherd was to go and pull a sheep out of a dangerous situation. So it was a dangerous job for them. It was also dangerous because there were predators everywhere. It's not like the horse farms that we drive by here in the beautiful bluegrass region of central Kentucky. You drive past horse farms, you see horses out there grazing, or you see cows out grazing, and you're not thinking, man, that horse is going to bolt at any time you come running onto the road because the fences are kind of keeping them in. It was kind of a wild wilderness back in, the, back in those days, and they didn't have fences everywhere. They had to go from pasture to pasture to get them in there. And while they're on the road and while they're going there, there was all kinds of beasts. The Bible said that David himself, David even attested to this, he had to fight off lions and bears and wolves all the time. So it was a dangerous job without a lot of pay. It was a high danger job and there wasn't a whole lot of reimbursement for it. On top of that, there was also the danger of gangs that would try to hijack flocks. Because back in those days, the shepherd wasn't really that valuable as a person, so whoever delivered the sheep, that's who would get paid. Whoever delivered the sheep to the, next, uh, to the sheep herder would, would be the one that, that got the pay. So there'd be a lot of gangs out there that would kill, that would look to kill or to you know, kind of just like dis- disable the, the current shepherd and take over the flock and take them on. So there was a lot of personal danger to being a shepherd. So you had to have a good one. So a shepherd that was willing to lay down his life for the sake of the sheep, that was a good shepherd. That was a good shepherd that says, hey, you know what? The life of my sheep is more important than my own. I care about my sheep and I care about these animals more than I care about my own. And here's what Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. It's been said before that you can't truly appreciate Psalm 23 until you come to understand and to kind of embrace Psalm 22. Because Psalm 22 is that one of those messianic psalms that kind of speak and kind of foretell the suffering that Jesus would go through on the cross. And in verse number one of Psalm 22, what we see is those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's one of the statements that Jesus made when he was on the cross. A couple thousand years later, Jesus would utter those words at the moment when God turns his back on the carnage that is taking place on the cross. For the first time in Jesus's eternal existence as a son to God the Father, for the first time when Jesus was on the cross bearing our sin, bearing our shame, bleeding, suffering and dying, God the Father turned his back on the carnage. And for the first time, Jesus came to understand the true human existence of being separated from God. And it was a moment of complete feeling of abandonment. See, this is what happened when Jesus the shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. He was willing to give everything for the sake of us. He gave up connection to the Father for our sake. This is what makes him such a good shepherd is that he was willing to lay down his life to ultimately become the sacrificial lamb himself so that we might live. See, Jesus is such a good shepherd because he was willing to lower himself to be a sheep sacrificed for us. He's a good shepherd. He's also good because he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. Look at verse number 12 in John chapter 10. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. See, here we see the difference between the good shepherd and what we call the hireling someone who was just hired to do stuff. They don't really have skin in the game. They're not really m- widely invested into the sheep at all. See, the good shepherd has skin in the game. He views those sheep as his own. He views those sheep as his, for lack of a better word, his friends. He view, although that's weird. I, I view sheep as my friends. This is what Jesus does to us. He cares enough about us to call his friends. See, the hireling has no stock in the sheep other than a paycheck. And the paycheck wasn't all that great. So he, all he has invested in the sheep is what he's going to get out of those sheep. But friend, this is the thing. Jesus doesn't have simply invested in us what he's going to get out of us. He invested so much more into us than we could ever give back to him. That's what makes him so good to us. Jesus is no hireling. He's the good shepherd in the face of the worst that we can face, which is death. Jesus, the good shepherd, will not abandon you. He will take the hit. He took the nails. He took the death, the shame that we could not pay on our own, and he paid it for us. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, and he does not abandon us. He's promised us, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am the good shepherd who constantly and continually takes care of the sheep. Why does he do this? Why does he continually and constantly, even at great cost to him, take care of us? because he cares, and we see that in verse number 13. He's good because he cares for his sheep. And he takes care of us because he cares for us. In verse number 13, he says, these people abandon the hireling abandons their, their, them, the sheep because he doesn't care about the sheep. Well, that makes sense, right? If I'm out in the field and I'm carrying sheep and I'm already kind of like down on my job, I'm only doing this because it's the only job I could find and I'm not really happy with the paycheck I'm getting, if dudes come up and say, hey, give us your flock or we're going to take your life, I'd be like, hey, take it, man, go ahead. I'll go find another job. But you see, when the shepherd cares about the sheep, he's gonna fight to the death. But the hireling doesn't care because he's not invested. The gospel of Jesus Christ declares that we are no ordinary sheep in the fold that we're highly valued by the shepherd. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross, each time you look at the cross, remember this. It screams to you that you are highly valued by the shepherd. Are you a sheep? Yes, but you are highly valued by the good shepherd. And then he's good because he knows us. Not only does he value us, he knows us. He knows us intimately. John 14, I'm the good shepherd. Or John 10, 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. This speaks about the intimacy that we have with the the good shepherd. He is an intimate, loving, personal Savior. He knows our name. It's been said before that shepherds, the good shepherds, could get to the point where they understood the individual tones in each one of their sheep. Not only did he name them because of the marks, he understood their tones, their movements, their personalities, and everything. And church, this is the beauty of our shepherd. He knows you. He's not just trying to put you into this mold. This mold of this this, this thing of of everybody's got to just fit into this mold and be a carbon copy. He has individually gifted us. He's individually wired us. He's individually gifted us with individual fingerprints. Our God is an individual God that loves us all corporately. It's beautiful. But understand that he has individually designed you for his purpose and his glory, and for ultimately fellowship and relationship with him. And when we broke it by wandering away, he sent his son, the good shepherd, to leave the 99 to come and find us. He's good because he knows his sheep. I know my sheep. Hear the tender voice of Jesus in those words. Look at that again, I know my sheep. I know my own. He knows you, he knows you better than you know you, he knows you better than your spouse knows you, he knows you better than the Facebook algorithms know you, <laughs> right? That's, that's a, he knows you well if he knows you better than that. Jesus said that his sheep also know his voice. See, the good shepherd is so close and involved with each sheep that they come to know his voice and follow him with trust and obedience. The last line of defense for a wandering sheep is the voice of the shepherd. You catch that? When a shepherd is wandering, the last line of defense for a sheep is the voice of the shepherd. And if the voice of the shepherd is not one that the sheep trusts, he ignores it. As the sheep is beginning to wander off, and he wanders out of the earshot of the shepherd, he's all on his own at that point. But he says, "The Bible says that his own know him." I just challenged you a second ago to hear the tender voice of Jesus. How well do you hear the tender voice of Jesus? when you're wandering, how much do you hear his voice? Gently and tenderly calling you back. So he's good, he's good, but he's also the great shepherd. He's the great shepherd, that's number two. Jesus is not that just the good shepherd, but he exceeds good, he's moved past good into great. And for that we need to look in Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, in verse number 20, it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, that he give you life. See, that word great there in the original language is, it's basically the word that that, that we get our word mega from, right? So, I love this. It, it, how 2020 is that? How like modern day uh, society is that? If, G, if it's not good enough that Jesus is the great shepherd, Jesus is the mega shepherd. That's basically what it's saying. It sounds like a video game, doesn't it? Or something like that. It sounds like a, a comic book hero Jesus, the mega shepherd. There's an idea if somebody wants to take it and run with it and try to sell it to a Christian publisher. He's the mega shepherd. And what that word simply means is that it is strong, it is mighty, it is loud. There is no one that measures up. So when it comes to the shepherds and all the good shepherds out there, Jesus is the tippy-top, toppest of the good shepherds out there. So what is it that makes Jesus great? Well, he's great because of his resurrection. Look what we see in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus. You remember how I talked about how dangerous it was to be a, a shepherd back then? All of a sudden, those dangers begin to kind of melt away when you realize that even if I lose my life, I'm coming back again. Like in a video game. You know, if you die, you just respawn right where you died. Some of you like, respawn? What does that mean? You haven't turned on a video game. That's, that's, your, that's your problem. But you see, there's no fear of death when you know that ultimately life waits on the other side. Now, that's a good lesson for us too as Christians, right? When he says not to live in fear. Because there's no, there can be no fear of death when we know that l- more life waits on the other side. So Jesus is the great shepherd because, because he resurrected from the dead. He lays down his life for his sheep, but he also took his life back up for his sheep. Not just for himself, but for his sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm a shepherd and I'm immortal, I'm going to look at those gangs and be like, let's go, buddy, because even if I die, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to come back and scare you to death. That's our God. That's our Savior. What that means for us and how that translates to us spiritually is there is no defeat in the flock of God. You are a victor in him. He has already won the victory, and his victory is sure in us and for us. He's great because of his resurrection. That's the point about Jesus as the great shepherd. He doesn't lose. He doesn't lose, and he doesn't lose us. He doesn't lose us. Satan thought he had him, but he found out that he just could not hold him, and the one that the grave could not hold now holds you in the palm of his hand. That's something to remember when we turn on the news, isn't it? The one who Satan can't hold, and the grave can't hold, holds you in the palm of his hand. He's great because of his resurrection, but he's also great because of the covenant that he gave. He says, and Jesus gives us the blood of his covenant, of his, not just covenant, but his everlasting covenant, meaning that if I am in the fold of God, if I am in the great shepherd's care, It is an eternal covenant that he has made with me that I will forever be in his care. He's not gonna quit on me. He's not gonna give up on me. He's not gonna move on to another flock. He's not gonna move up in the ranks as the shepherd. He's already the best. When you're in the care of the great shepherd, you're already in the greatest flock. And with that comes contentment. He's also great because he establishes peace. He establishes peace in us. See, that kind of covenant commitment and fearlessness brings in us a great peace and security as a sheep. We know that I'm everlastingly in his hand, that there is no place I can wander that he won't come to find. If you know the story of the the parable of the shepherd that left the 99 to come to the one, I always look at that and sometimes think, "Man, did he turn his back on the 99? No, he didn't turn his back on the 99, because he's the great shepherd. The great shepherd is great enough, he's the mega shepherd, Remember? The mega shepherd can leave the 99 and still hold them in his care even when he's over here gathering the one that's wandered. He's the great shepherd that cares for us. He establishes peace. And then lastly this morning as we move to close, he's the chief shepherd. He's the chief. He just kind of keeps moving up, right? He goes from good to great to now he is the chief shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The question is, who's the you here? It's the reader, right? Well, to look at the context, you have to see verses two through three where Peter is talking to those who are under shepherds within the church of Jesus Christ. By this time, the church has been formed and it's in its early phases and he's talking to the pastors and the elders and the bishops of the church and he is reminding them that you are shepherds of the flock of Jesus Christ as well, but he is the chief shepherd. He's the shepherd that you will answer to in your shepherding. And understand this too. In your family, in your home structure, dads, you're the shepherd in your home. Or if you're in a home where it's a single parent home, moms, you're the shepherd of your home. In some cases, you're in a situation where you are leading others. You're maybe discipling someone. That puts you in a shepherding role, and what we need to understand is one day, all of us in our shepherding experience will answer to the great and chief shepherd, and it says this, that when he appears, when he appears, there will be an unrelenting, unfading crown of glory given. God doesn't always reward the biggest and the best. God rewards the faithful. God rewards the faithful. He's the chief shepherd that will appear again. You see these shepherds back in the day, they would be shepherding the sheep and every once in a while the supervisory shepherd would come by and take a look and see how they were doing. And then they would have this like, I guess you would say this, uh, what's it called when you sit down with your employer in evaluation, right? They would have this evaluation. All of us are headed to an evaluation as sheep and as under-shepherds in the relationships that we have. And he says, I'm coming back, I'm returning. So for the sheep, you know what that means? That's good, that's a good moment. For the sheep to know that, the, that he's coming back, there will be reward for that. So he is the sheep that is over the entire flock. He's the chief shepherd because he's over the entire flock. When we see that word, the Lord, in our original text, the Lord is my shepherd, that word Lord is Yahweh. That was such a holy form of a name for God that it was only mentioned one time, one day of the year, by the great high priest of Israel. No one else could utter the name, it was so holy. And then even then, the high priest had to bathe himself before and after he uttered the word. It shows us just how holy the shepherd is, the Lord, and and how, how how abnormal it is in our understanding that the Lord, the chief of everything, would stoop to be the shepherd to be the lowly shepherd. You see, we must never forget that the shepherd is good, that the shepherd is great, but the shepherd is the chief. He's the Lord, he's the king, he's the Lord of all. He's the chief shepherd who loves each sheep individually too. You would think that the chief shepherd over all of the flock, which Jesus is over the bride of Christ, he's not just over Graceway. He's not just over the Baptist churches. He's over anyone and everyone who believes and follows him as the sheep. He's over the flock. He's over it all. You would think that the chief shepherd doesn't have time to individually know every sheep the way that the good shepherd does. But Jesus is not just the chief shepherd, he's the good shepherd who knows us individually too. He says this, he says, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What that means is, he's watching us, he sees us. And one day when he returns, He will reward us. And you see that word, it says, that pronoun you, it syncs up with what David says in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He's gonna give us the evidence of his love. When you wander, he knows where you wander to, and he knows where to find you. He loves you more than anyone else or any other shepherd could. And he's also, lastly, as we close, he's the chief shepherd who is coming again. Look at what we see in first here, when the chief shepherd returns. The chief shepherd has promised that he is coming again. I don't know about you, but January 1st, 2020 would have been a good day for the shepherd to return, don't you think? Or like, you know, before like March when COVID hit, right? Anybody just getting tired, worn out? of all the things that we see going on, all the things that we're having to endure, thinking, man, how much worse can it get? Stop asking that question because we keep answering it. Stop. It's like, can we just hit the reset on this, right? But understand this, that when we walked into 2020 and all the stuff that we've walked into, the shepherd was right there with rod and staff and he's right there with rod and staff now and he's one day coming again and when he comes again He's gonna take us to his home. It's already set and it's secure. And even while we wait for that, he's right there by our side. He says this in verse number six of of, chapter tw- of Psalm 23, "'I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. "'Until then he's our shepherd "'and we shall not want for anything "'because he's not just any old shepherd, "'he's the good shepherd, he's the great shepherd, "'and he is the chief shepherd but the greatest aspect of this good, great chief shepherd is that he is my shepherd. Catch that again. He's the good, great chief shepherd, but better than all of that is that he's mine. And that's where we close the day and I'm asking you this question is, is he your shepherd? Are you in his fold? Are you in his flock today? If you do not know Christ, if you do not know the shepherd, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day you put your faith and your trust and you follow this shepherd. You see, because he already knows you. Whether you know him or not, he already knows you. You're not an accident. You're not just going to wander by accident to his fold one day. He's calling out to you. All who will be be coming, come. All who want to come. All who hunger and thirst after me, come and be part of my fold. Do you hunger and thirst after him? If you do not know Christ as your Savior, whether you're in this room, or whether you're worshiping virtually, let today be the day of salvation. Hear his voice tenderly calling to us. Come and follow me, and I will lead you into eternal life. I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I'll anoint your head. Your cup will run over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and at the end of that, you're going to dwell in my house forever. There's a beautiful thing that happens with those shepherds. Some shepherds become so connected to the sheep through their relationship that at the end of the, she- of the sheep's life, if the sheep was not going to be, if the sheep was no longer valuable and, and, the shepherd, and the sheep was about to die, sometimes the chief shepherd or the owner of that sheep would allow that shepherd to take that sheep home and nurse him and care for them while they died. That was a good shepherd understand this, this is what our shepherd does for us, he's going to nurse us, he's going to walk us through the end of life, and then at the end of life he says, you will dwell in my house, not just until the end, but forever that's the promise we hold to the promise, you accept that promise, if you don't know Christ, today is the day of salvation, now I open by reading Spurgeon's words, I want to read them one more time but let's personalize it this morning I'm going to personalize it with my name Okay, Derek is one of the most unwise of all creatures. No one has to say amen okay? But put your name in there. Derek is the most unwise creature. Ryan is the most unwise of creatures. Tracy, any of them. Put your name in there. He will go anywhere except in the right direction. I feel like that a lot of times. Sometimes I feel like I'm just trying. I just can't figure out how to go right. I'll leave a fat pasture to wander into a barren one. How often do we turn our eyes away from God's goodness and put it on something that's lacking? I will find ways, many ways, but not the right way. I will wander straight through a forest and find my way through ravines, straight into the jaws of the wolf and never feel like I need to turn away from it. I could wander, I wander near his den continually, but I would not instinctively turn aside from the place of danger. I know how to go astray, but I so often do not know how to return home again. Left to myself, I don't know what pasture to feed in. I don't know what pasture to feed in in summer, and I don't know where to retire in winter. Folks, this is the description not just of a sheep. This is the description of the human soul. Come to the shepherd without the shepherd, the sheep is hopeless. So with every head bowed this morning and every eye closed, we go into a time of prayer. Is it time to come to the shepherd? Do you know Christ as your Savior? If not, let today be the day. He says all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one to our own way, and the Lord laid upon Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. And by His stripes, we've been healed. Trust Him as your Savior today. Receive his sacrifice, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. But he's not dead today, he's he's resurrected today as the chief shepherd, as the great shepherd who restores our soul too. And as the chief shepherd, who will lead you in the path of righteousness. Trust him today. So man, I don't know all the ins and outs of theology. You don't have to. All you need to know is I'm lost and I need someone to find me. Just like a scared sheep that's wandered away. How wonderful it is when the shepherd shows up. Today the, the shepherd is showing. Maybe you've wandered from the fold. Maybe you say, "Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a sheep. I'm his sheep, but I've wandered from the fold." Let today be the day you come back, rededicate your life to Christ. So you don't know where I've been. It doesn't matter. The shepherd does. It's not about me. It's about the great shepherd. He knows where you've been. He knows where you are. He's waiting for you to call out and say, "Lord, I'm ready to come home." So as we get ready to pray this morning, let's do business with God today. The invitation is: draw to, the, draw near to the shepherd. As we come to the conclusion of this week's message, we pray that it has ministered to you and challenged you from the word of God. We would love to hear from you. If you would like to connect with us, you can go to www.gracewaylex.org, click on contact us, and we would love to have a discussion with you about your faith. Thank you. We'll talk to you again next week.